Welcome to the Monster Baby Podcast, people. This is a curious romp through the worlds of mindfulness and improvisation. And we are your hosts, Lisa Rowland and Ted DeMaison. And today we today's a juicy one. Juicy. Everybody, this is a this is a juicy topic. It's like a watermelon squeezed. Yeah, a juicy one. A juicy watermelon, not one of those dry mealy watermelons. Ooh. And it's about so today is about is about spirituality. Mm. And if that makes you go, oh god, just hang in there because that's also what it makes me do. So we'll get through that together. And if it makes you go, oh, yeah, then hang, hang in, in there because that's what it makes Ted do. That's 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 we're coming at this from slightly different different angles. Yeah. So, but it's kind of good questions. So you have a little bit of a skeptic, a skeptic on the line, and also a, a, a what do we call you? A practitioner, just like believer, believer, but also maybe believer who's questioning some more. So, yeah, yeah we're both in flux on this these questions, big so. time. And uh, so we talk about what is spirituality in general, and then also, of course. How does it apply to mindfulness? Yeah, and improv? is mindfulness a spiritual practice? Is improvisation a spiritual practice? Oh. How? What makes it spiritual? And my big question: Does it matter? Does it matter? Does any of it actually matter? So uh, you know, we're all just on a little planet floating through space. Electrons. Nothing matters. So on that note, <laughs> <laughs> that's not actually the moral of the story, everybody. No. That's not where we're going to end up. But, just a tease. Just a tease. But we hope you like it. There's, it's a it's a lot of you know. Does it did, does does a practice have to be intentional in order for it to count as to count as spiritual? How do we connect to mystery? What does that what does yeah. it really mean? What's really going on there? And we leave you with a fun question at the end that we'd love to hear back from you about. Yeah. So you know, have some notepaper out. <laughs> Or so, don't. You or don't have to take notes. You don't. Especially if you're driving. <laughs> don't. You just, this can be a low impact listening experience. Oh, no. I didn't mean taking notes throughout. I just meant at the end when they want to write down their response to the question. Mm. But anyway, we hope you enjoy it. We had fun. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Listen Listen away. Take it away. Grab a cup of tea. Grab some watermelon. Or do whatever you want. Enjoy the juice. And have a fun time. All right. Here we go. Here's what I was going to tell you about my co- coffee and a run in my life. Went on a run this morning. I went on a run. I went on a run and then I'm having a cup of coffee. And that's like my favorite combination. I love it. High power I feel like a superpower. It was superhero. It's like jet fueled. Uh, and I liken it to, it, it may, it's, it's kind of like, um, you've never jumped on a giant, on a, not giant, but it was like a big, one of those big tramp, like a big, like a big trampoline. Adult size tramp, like a big trampoline. Maybe once or twice. Really? Yeah, I always feel like it's going to fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just going to go straight this through it. This is your risk averseness. Well, it is. This partly. is like, yeah. Yeah, and if I miscalculate, my head's going to hit the side of the thing and I'll have a concussion yeah. or like something that will put me in a hospital for the rest so of my life. So are you familiar with the double bounce concept? Help me out. So, no. if you're bouncing, if you're jumping with two people, which I think would be right, very scary, doubly risky to you. Yeah. yeah, doubly risking. Yeah, you're jumping with two people, and one jumps just before the other one does. Okay. It launches the second person so much higher than they would have gone on their own. Oh, okay, because of like how how that second person hits the trampoline. Yeah, and I feel like. The run before, co- like, whereas coffee is normal right. bounce, the run before coffee is like my double bouncer. Right. You're getting more bounce for your day than you would get from the coffee. Like, if you took A, coffee, B, run, A plus B is greater than A plus B. A plus B combined greater than the is greater parts. than the I, I, It's just better than either one on their own. Double bounce. I'll say that. This double is, bounce. It's a double bounce. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I'm clinging to the side of the trampoline. And you're, you're not even on the trampoline. Hoping that you don't. You're like watching from afar being like, that is a that is an injury. Somebody's going to just get hurt up there. <laughs> I'm meditating on the side. You're meditating praying on the, that, taking deep breaths. That the universe will watch over <laughs> us. Deep breaths. <laughs> and trying to like open your channels to reality yeah. to send good, get right. good energy our way. So this episode should be interesting. <laughs> Let's see. So uh, we're here with a, uh, a fresh new topic. Kind of. Kind of. We haven't considered it at all. Um, it's been yeah. lurking in the corners. Yeah, we're in my apartment, so the podcasts are here. 
Two, uh, two of them. And they're watching the traffic go by. Yeah, they're great. They're great. They had a, I had a funny greeting this morning when I took off my shoes. One of them, Puck, um, immediately stuck his head into my shoes and was rolling around fighting the shoes. Yeah. Real cute. We've decided that they are bringers of joy. But yeah, they're great. They're just great. They're the best cats. They play. They are present. They love each other. They chill out. They're not obnoxious. You want to know them. Yeah. So if you don't, you just come over. Stop by. Come on over. I like visitors. And so do they. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about we're talking about spirituality. <clears throat> in part. Today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is I love this topic. This is a topic I've been interested in spirituality since I was a little boy. Little yeah, what boy. got why? That is a great question. I think I just were you came raised, in with it. Were you raised with a like? What is your spiritual background? Ooh, oh boy, that's a big old question. Like, no, what, were my, you, like okay. what were you raised? You sure. know, what was the? My folks met at the Catholic Center, the Newman Center at Tufts University, and Dad had grown up a choir boy. Is and... a Catholic Center different than a church? Yes, it's like the Catholic student group. Oh, right. So it's like the place where they get Got together it. and do their. Do worship their, on campus and do their Catholic things. Do their Catholicity. Yeah, that's where they abstain together. <laughs> they they consider eat wafers the, and drink right, wine. Right. Those are the things I am, I know about Catholicism. That's an extensive understanding of the tradition. All of those things are true, right? Wafers, uh, yeah. communion. They take communion. They do confession. I don't know. Yeah, I guess if there were priests there, they could do confession or communion. Yeah. So they met there, and uh, when I grew up, I went to Catholic school for the first four grades of my schooling. So we got Catholic teachings, and but I was always questioning Catholic. Like, mom was pretty progressive, and mom was into astrology and uh, more New Age kinds of thinking. And so for me, that stuff was real, and the Catholicism was like some effort to make sense of what was real. Oh. Even when astrology I was, was real, and Catholicism was the, was the story? Yeah, in my mind. Yeah. Right? And... And that there was this larger mystery, this kind of psychic realm of invisible forces that were contributing to our life. And that Catholicism was, well, we're trying to understand what that's about. So oh. here's one story. Okay. But it was enough that when I did my first communion in second grade, I asked mom if she would say, if she would have her friend, who is a nun, put together a special ceremony. And so Sister Linda and I wrote songs and wrote prayers. And we used real bread for, and we did a private ceremony for my first communion, instead of my doing it with the rest of the class, because oh I want I want to make it personally meaningful. And this Jesus. is like the first you of really my. You really did just come in this way. I know this is the first of my individually designed things. <laughs> individually designed first communion. Yeah, and I, when I did my major, it was an individually designed major in college. But yeah, and then when I was in high school, Sister Linda. Bless her. Sister Linda Bessem was her name. I was into Taoism and Native American thinking and pagan stuff. And then I worked at a Methodist summer camp and I worked at a Quaker summer camp and I worked at a Unitarian summer camp. And then when I got into college, I got into Buddhism and meditation. And and then a few years later, I got hooked up with a Hindu teacher named Ama Mata Amrita Nandamayi. A hugging saint from India. So I've just had all these influences. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And, but you've always you've always pursued them. I have. Like you've really you yep. have dived into them. Yep, I've yep. always been fascinated by it. Yeah. And the notion of there being something larger than us that animates us, and I just think it's so cool. Yeah. It's, it's such a lovely idea. I actually I'm way less certain about these things than I used to be. Ah. Like I don't know what's true anymore. What did you once think was true? Oh, I used to feel far more confident that there was a an unfolding story that had some sort of end point or... Like there was a design? That there was a design, There was a yeah. reason you, yeah. you were here for something? And that there were other like angelic forces that were helping guide us to certain lessons and insights. And I'm not certain about that anymore. It might be so. Mm-hmm. It might be that we're kind of on our own. I still think we're bound together in this energetic unity of some sort, but I don't know. So More questions. More questions. Yeah. And more focus on, on living life here and now. I think we've mentioned this on the podcast, but 
one of the stories from Buddhism is about, like, don't worry about metaphysics. The Buddha's like, someone asked him about that. Are there angels and gods? And he's like, eh, it doesn't matter. Deal with what's going on right now. Yeah. You know, take the, if you get shot with a poison arrow, don't worry about who shot it, where it was made. Get, get the, the arrow out. out. Get the poison out. Yeah, you got a job. Yeah. So right yeah. I feel like I've got a lot of work to do right now to get myself clear on what does it mean to be here and be human and be alive and be a good person and mm-hmm. before I'm so concerned about other stuff. Yeah. But it's a fun question to ask. Yeah. So yeah, I've thought about this a lot. Yeah. Did you, when you were a girl, little girl, did you think about spirituality? Uh, like as a... Yes, but it but it was kind of as like an interesting like wow people believe that stuff you know right. I was raised both of my parents were raised in some church but kind of uncon unconvincedly you know like their parent they like they always I think my dad was Episcopalian maybe and my mom Presbyterian <laughs> I don't I'm not really sure but when they got like it was never a huge part of their lives and when they got married and had kids they were like there's no system of belief that we believe in so strongly that we want to impose it on other human beings like on our children so let's just not and so my my relationship to a religious life was uh when i went for sleepovers on weekends did i have to pack nice clothes because does that friend go to church in the morning interesting right so it was like this thing that other people did that i didn't that i was kind of glad i didn't i never felt like i was missing out on anything Mm. Religion was always um, kind of a, a a curious thing. I was mm-hmm. always like, wow. Uh, it felt kind of like being a foreign exchange student. You know, yes. it was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. This this is stuff that you do. Right. But I never felt the need to be a part of it, or I never really wanted to be a part of it. Yep. And there's like a few memories that come back to me. One, I asked my best friend growing up if, if she thought I was going to help. Ooh. Because I wasn't Christian, right? And she was. She she was one of the families that when I went there, I went to church with her, and so right. like, thankfully, Lutheran church, Saint Saint. Oh gosh, what was it called? I forget. I know exactly where it was. I can see the building. I like had to dress, put a right. dress in the bag to go to church with them in the morning, and I was always like, uh, okay. It like made me identify my non-church going friends, and I was like, you're who I have Saturday night sleepovers. That's with. so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. But but um, I asked her if I was, if if she thought I was going to hell, and she said, "No, no, because you're a good person, and if you're a good person, you go to heaven." Mm. The way that I recall it, I was not asking because I believed in heaven and hell. I was asking because I was like trying to get behind what that belief was. Right. And she said, "No, because you're a good person." And I said, "Oh, okay." And then she came back to me the next week, maybe, and said, "Oh, I asked my pastor about it, and I was wrong." And the wow. truth is, um, people who do good in the name of Jesus Christ are going to heaven. And then didn't say the, and the and therefore you're going to hell part. Right. Both of us just kind of like, oh, hmm. got it. But, there but was, it wasn't a like purgatory for good people, but who haven't yet taken on Jesus. Well, no, but she, she just said, you know, the, right. who gets into heaven is if yeah. you do good things for Jesus in the name of, in the name of our savior. And that was clearly not me. And so I was like, Oh, huh. Yeah. Okay. And, but, but two things struck me almost, almost most of all was this idea that, that she had a belief about what, about what is good and what is bad right. and told me what it was and then was corrected by somebody else. And that rubbed me the, that rubbed me the wrong way yep. more than anything else yep. because I don't, I didn't believe that I was, I was never afraid of sort of an eternal inferno, you know, right. like I, that, that, that part didn't trouble me, but the part where it's like, wait, but you already told me what you think. So what happens no. to that belief? What no. do you mean you were wrong about that? You know, like, so that, that was like an interesting thing. That, that may have been the biggest thing that kept me from getting confirmed in Catholicism. Mm-hmm. I had problems with sexual, with their take on sexuality, their take on women, so on and so forth. But it was in particular their relationship to authority and questioning. Yeah. It was like, no, this is what's true. Like there's no room for how you yeah. interpret this or yeah. what you believe to be true. So there was that, there was, a ta- there was always in my life, since I was three, I think we had participated in this ritual called Season of Light. It's a ceremony at the mm-hmm. end of the year. It's it happens around the solstice. It's around Christmas time, and it's a it's sort of a a ritual created by a group that my parents were a part of called Creative Initiative, which you know about. Mm-hmm. That was all about 
living intentionally and living with ritual living intentionally and ritual is a big part of that yeah yeah so that the the people who created this group understood that ritual and ceremony were an important part of what makes a community a community right and so they created these rituals and this ritual which is so interesting that it it, it's just as meaningful to me even though it was like born 40 years ago and not 200 years ago or Mm -hmm. thousands of years ago or whatever but the but what it did was that every year we talked about man's changing relationship to god humankind's changing relationship yep. to God. And there were some prayers about, you know, if thine eye be single, like the Shema from the Old Testament, from like from kind of a Judeo-Christian mm-hmm. tradition. But the whole thing was about un, about man's changing relationship to what we call light. So the, the coming of the light. We receive the light. We affirm the light. We pass on the light. How are you a carrier of the light? And the light was really open to your interpretation. Yes. So when we were kids... The it ended with a sort of wish you have for the world, and then as we grew up, is we started talking about how we see ourselves in the world and what mm-hmm. it's this opportunity to check in with yourself and the kind of life you're living and whether you're living intentionally and what's important to you yeah. and what matters and what are your priorities and that I always really loved. So there was this touching of spirituality that it was outside of any religion, right? And whenever I talked to my my dad especially about it he would always say you know i don't know about there's no religion that i really that i really ascribe to but i know there are some things that are just true if you want to love you must be loving no if you want to be loved you must be loving if you want to be trusted you must be trusting so this idea of kind of deep like that's a law those are laws for for him. For him, yes. That was that was his. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So, sort of separating the idea that there can be things that are deeply true, which I still believe, mm-hmm. that are not deeply true because God said they are, or right. because it was a directive from somebody. Right. And I was like, oh, that's kind of lovely. Like I yeah, can just believe sense. that this is true. And I think that that's where I've landed. Is like, mm-hmm. there's just things that I know that are true, and you can call that morality, or you can call that, you um, know. So would you call that spirituality? I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, there's some, when you were describing your uh, early experience with religion, with your friends, and I was wondering, do you feel like you got left out of something by not being a part of a religion? And it sounds like you would have said no, but then, as you were talking further, I was reminded you had that experience of ritual through the creative initiative stuff. Yeah. And for me, like... I don't agree with Catholicism, but I'm super thankful that I had that experience of ritual. Mm-hmm. So prayer and going to church and candles and incense and singing and getting together with other people regularly with an, with a shared intention, all that is like, yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I feel like that got imprinted in me. Right. And more than anything else out of Catholicism, what I still carry with me, probably as my most central belief, is that if there is a God... If there's a unifying force, the name that we would give that is love mm. or light. And those feel like, ultimately, those are kind of Christian notions. Like that there's a unifying force in the world and that everything is a part of it and that that is love. Yeah, that's kind of God. Love, light, um, life, you could call it, right? It's like, it's all, it feels like it's all the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, but so I had that unifying. Unity, but like, isn't like, isn't there kind of an, an, an idea of, of like we we are one in Buddhism, like there's no separation where it's all part of the same thing. There's no there's Inter- no you and me and separation of self. Interconnectedness, yeah. Yeah, like isn't yeah. so is it is it just a Christian notion or is that idea that like we are like this idea of unity? Yeah, I I personally I believe when you sort of get back to these fundamental truths, it's a fundamental truth, and it's a fundamental truth in Buddhism. But it has a different flavor. It's mm-hmm. like, are we all part of God or are we just all interconnected? Is there a difference? Great question. Some would say yes, and the difference really matters. Yeah. Some would say no. We're talking about the same thing. What does it matter for? Right? People, like, like explain that to me. Because I think that my, yeah. and this I think I have mentioned on the podcast before, is that my like current thing on whether there's a God or what God is, is like, I don't know that it matters, actually, what the true what the truth of that is. Because... How does it change if we are all part of God or if we are all just part of our, of each other? Of a, some global unity. Yeah, then what's then what's the... How does that change? Like, what changes? What changes if we all believe that we're part of something bigger? 
I think it changes. It can change the decisions we make about how we live now. So especially if you think that the unity is a is a god that you have to please. Oh well, that's different. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. You know what is the character it's like of I that? Am, I have to strive to be or, approved right, by somehow. Right. Yeah. And that changes the arc of your behavior. Yeah. Of your storyline. Right. But it's a great question, I, and, and this is bringing ourselves into our topic or like our podcast themes here. Like to me, this is one of the places where mindfulness and improvisation link with spirituality explicitly and kind of obviously is interconnectedness. Mm -hmm. That when we pay attention to what's happening, our breath, our body, our experience, our thoughts, our minds, you come to see like, mm, we're all stitched together. You're influencing me. I'm influencing you. I, the if I stop and think about it, like uh, you know, what I had for breakfast this morning is influencing my thoughts. What I had for breakfast this morning, well, the spinach came from California, and the almonds came probably from California. <laughs> <laughs> Pomegranate juice maybe from California. Anyway, stuff comes from all what over we're the saying place. Is. <laughs> really, California is California. California is the place to be. Um, but we're all tied together, and, and so mindfulness, the practice of mindfulness, if you do it long enough, kind of leads you there. And then I think that improv leads you there as well, because you realize... Do you think that's a foregone conclusion? you think that necessarily you get there with mindfulness? Because... Mm -hmm. yeah. I do. I, I think if it's disciplined and you're really considering what's true and what your experience is like, that it will lead you there. And then I, I think the same thing with improv, like you realize nature of shared control and scene development and yeah, and it's so immediate i mean the difference absolutely. there is like in this moment if you're not sharing control with somebody and taking their input you're actually not doing improv and you're probably not having a very good time right. or so your it's scenes like crashing and burning yeah. immediate feedback yeah so that that's one of the ways that those are those are explicitly connected but if you were going to given what we've said now do you feel like you could name a definition for spirituality like when you use that word what do you mean I feel like it has something to do with your relationship to, like, I'm a spiritual person means I sort of believe in a greater, a, a greater force somehow than, mm -hmm. than, than just you and me walking around. And I do something to honor that. I do something to touch that or honor mm. that. Like I spend some time paying, a, paying attention to that great, that greater thing and somehow pay, paying homage or honoring or like there's Being in there's some intentional action in that direction love it that that's makes sense. that's what i that's what it seems like to me yeah yeah and that's distinct from religion oh yeah mm -hmm. yeah because it's personal yeah it could look a lot of different ways yeah i think yeah and religion is you know there are set religions and they have rules and they have yeah. kind of codified beliefs and you are a Christian if you believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. You right. are not a Christian if you don't. You are, you know, it's like there's, yeah. there's just, I think there's less wiggle room generally. One of the things I think is interesting is that mo when most of us talk about religion, we tend to think of them as monoliths, like that there is such a thing as Christianity or Islam or Buddhism, and that there's so multiple within them, right? So they, they're like 12,000 different Christian versions yeah do any of them not believe that jesus christ is lord and savior yeah they, some wouldn't use that language really yeah like if you go to a you go to an evangelical church in africa versus you go to a, a quaker church in new england a quaker meeting in new england we wouldn't even call it a church those look totally different yeah they just don't use the same language and they don't you know but is there a what so what's the what's the bind i mean like what makes well question? was jesus a teacher or was he a savior like Christian could mean following the teachings of Jesus. Without, Can it really? Yeah, sure. Because then, because I'm like, Jesus had cool stuff to say. Right. In the same way that like, you know, Martin Luther King has cool stuff to say in the same way that. Sure. You have cool stuff to say. Right. But so, so, right. So it's interesting, like a Unitarian tradition comes out, of, it certainly has a Christian heritage and it is kind of a Christian tradition, but there are some people within that faith who wouldn't call themselves Christian. So mm -hmm. it's it's like a. It's a big mix, right? Yeah. So anyway, I think it is different. I think spirituality is different from religion too. How? Um, I think of religion as a, a group that has a shared sense of ritual, purpose, morality, 
uh, and they it's got a historical expression. And as you said, it's kind of codified in some way. Mm-hmm. And for me, spirituality is much more individual. It's more personal. It's more unique. But I did a I did a presentation a few years back on improv and spirituality, improv as spiritual practice. And I, at that time, defined spirituality as the whole person practice of awakening, feeling, and expressing a connection to a larger mystery. Awakening, feeling, and expressing a connection to a larger mystery? Yeah. So I was like, whole person, meaning all of who you are, your your faults and your greatnesses and... Body, body, mind, spirit. Exactly. And then practice, like it's something you do, as you said. It's something that you take action for. And it's part of that is finding and trying to bring to light this this thing, whatever it is. Part of it is feeling it, living it. And then part of it is expressing it, sharing it with other people, mm-hmm. putting it out into the world. But it's all about this relationship to what is that? I don't know. Which, as you described, that larger force. Or maybe it's just like relationship to the fact that we don't know. And isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. So it can be very individual. And that can be a shared thing. So maybe my vocabulary around those practices is really similar to yours. And so we have a shared sense of spirituality. But it's necessarily unique as well. Spirituality. Yeah. To each person. Mm-hmm. But that there maybe there are some fundamental truths that we can recognize and, yeah. and participate in. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so interdependence was one of the ways that I thought I think of improvisation as an expression of spirituality or a, a way to practice spirituality. So here's my question, my central question here. Great. Because I've often actually said, like, I've never been a part of any religion, but but if but the closest thing I have to a sort of yeah religious or spiritual practice or code of conduct is is improv. Right. Rules. In that it's like, yeah, these rules make you generous and attentive and playful and bold and kind and, you know, optimistic and positive and caring. Yeah. Like, those are ways that I want to live my life. That's, yeah. So. And there's a community and you get together there's regularly. Community, there's ritual. Like, that ritual is really important yeah. to me. However, I wonder if, like, do you have to be approaching it as a really spiritual practice in order for it to be a spiritual practice? Or do you have to be... Like, so, okay, so this is the podcast I was listening to this morning where Hari Kondabolu, who's a who's a comedian, was being interviewed. Can you say that name again? His name is Hari Kondabolu. Kondabolu. Yeah, and he's okay. actually half of the podcast Politically Reactive with Got W. It. Kamau Bell, and he's great. But he was talking about, but the, the interviewer actually asked, like, how does humor affect your spirituality or is humor part of your spiritual practice? I mean, it was mm. like, it's all about humor and the ways that humor can help us cope. And he goes, no, no, God, no, not at all. He's like, when I pray, when I'm engaged in a spiritual practice, I feel calm. I feel at ease. I feel in touch with something true. He's like, a comedy club is terrifying. It's like, and I'm, wow. and, and I'm, He's like, there's so many stressful feelings. I'm so anxiety ridden about whether this joke is going to land, whether it's not. Like, also, you're there to to entertain people. If my main focus is, is this entertaining? That's not a spiritual yeah. practice. That's like, that. This, my success in this moment lives and dies by whether you like it. He's like, that can't, you know, that's not... That's not spiritual. That's not spirituality for sure, me. Sure, sure. But so it was an interesting question for me because, like, there is so there's such a part of me that feels like when I hit that sort of flow state with people in a show yes. or in a rehearsal, and it's like it's going. It feels like magic. It's super, super. It feels kind of transcendent. It's right. like how did that? How did it just happen? Right. How did that happen? It's so exciting. That's very different from what he was talking about. Yes, but would I want to do improv if I never performed? Like, I love performing. Oh, right. So is the fact that, like, people are there and they like what we do, does that change the fact that, does it does it change the nature of this? Yeah, uh, okay. Of this? And I'm approaching it as an art form. I'm not approaching it as a spiritual practice. Right. Or, or so does that matter? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, does yeah. it count as a spiritual practice if... If you don't intend it as one. If you don't intend it as one. If I'm like, yeah. I, I intend it as, like, I love improv. I love what it does. It happens 
It's it's almost like right. a byproduct. Like I it it never it didn't enter my life as a spiritual practice. It didn't seem yeah. spiritual when I started. I'm kind of like, wait a minute, this touches more deep, interesting things. I think we've got a like a universal. I said that really weird. Universal. A, a universal human need for this kind of stuff, for community, meaning, purpose, belonging. Right. And that we're gonna like search around and. Until we find it somehow, we don't have to name it religion, but we need that. And that my take on it would be that you have found that through improv. Yeah. And you don't need to name it as that for it to meet that universal need. For it to meet something like deep and human. Right. Yeah. Which I guess that's what spirituality and religion does. It's like it meets some like deep, deep human need. And I think it can go further if you do recognize it as such. Yeah. That it can serve even more of that. Or help you flourishing. Yeah, but but I, I wonder if it changes it, right? If I approach a show as a spiritual practice, right. it's not what that is. There are paying customers. Who, right? I mean, it's like, well, I couldn't wonder. It be, couldn't it be both? I don't know. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I, I, I would say, yeah, it could be. And I trust that if you are committed to each other and that kind of loving interconnection, that, then be... the audience will... Be delighted. Can I be approaching it as a spiritual practice when the other people are not? That's not what they're there for? Yes, it would be stronger if they were too. Yeah. That's my take. Yeah. Because then you have that community and you're you're able to get to places. It's like if you're trying to play in different styles of improv on stage, you know, somebody's trying to do relationship-centered improv, somebody's trying to do joke-centered improv. Yeah. There's going to be a whole lot of kerfuffle in the middle of those two things. You might still entertain the audience but it probably will be frustrating if you're both on stage really tuning into what is it that's trying to move through us in this larger force of a well, story being expressed but that's all that's like you just treaded into new territory okay so let's let's pause that yeah because i want to mention with the what you said about the guy whose name i can't say god bless you <laughs> that's that's so disrespectful i'm sorry harry um <laughs> He was, it's funny to me that he went to, the question was, is humor part of your spirituality? And well, he, I don't know exactly okay. what the question was, but it was kind of like. So as you relate, as you relate it. Yeah. And he went to humor equals stand being, doing stand-up. Like and, the practice of my. Yeah. As opposed to what came to mind for me was just play. Yeah. Well, I think stand-up comedy is real different. Right. It's not very playful because it's super rehearsed. Well, some comedians it feels like it has a kernel of right like because because the, i mean this whole hour long podcast was about was about how humor helps us cope and and there is something people were saying you know humor connects us and humor if you can laugh with somebody you start to love them absolutely so like from laughter comes love you when you really share a belly laugh with somebody it's like you feel closer to them so there's something really sacred yeah. about that there's yeah. something that laughter does that that knits us together so it could be that, like, yeah, that's why he, that's ultimately why he's in it, but it's not his spiritual practice. It's like he's in it because right. he knows it's important. He's good at it. It helps him. It helps the world. But doing stand-up does not feel like a spiritual practice. Right. Uh, for me, play is yeah. a spiritual practice. That's uh -huh. one of the things I feel like I'm doing in my life right now most as a spiritual practice. Is playing. Yeah, it's like meeting people, uh, meet people on the street, just trying to be playful. And yeah. that this is part of my connecting to that mystery or love or light or whatever it is like yeah you know i imagine a, meeting a dog the kind of the way the dogs get down and they're low on their front paws and yeah. their tails wagging like okay what do we got going on yeah you gonna play with me yeah. here we go <laughs> cats looked over as we're making dog sounds um so anyway that's i just wanted to m mention that that yeah. struck me when you told that story about him yeah it's interesting wait but there was something else what you just said Oh, so then this brings me back to my central question about spirituality and religion, which is, does it matter? So, mm -hmm. so I, cause I think that I do, I do the same thing. It's like, I, I play with people yes. as a default. Yep. I, I recently was at an event where I had to write a six word bio. And my six words. Six bio. words. So it was your name on a name tag, your name and a six word bio. And my name, my bio was, I like to play with strangers. I like to play with strangers. Yeah. Yeah. I like to play with strangers. And it's true. It's like, if I can find somebody who plays with me right off the bat, I'm like, I'm done. Like sealed yeah. where you're in, you know, yep. who can really play with me in the, in the way that I like to play. Right. Um, <laughs> That's too many words though. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's right. I like to play with strangers who play in the way that I say is the way we play. So, well. <laughs> I, I, you are one of the most playful people I know. What uh, what makes your playing with people a re- like a spiritual practice and my playing with people not if it isn't it's like I'm playing with people because it because it feels good and it feels like the way I want to move through the world that feels like it's it's fueled by something that is sort of like fundamental and I and I it would feel missing if I weren't playing with people mm-hmm. does that make it spiritual. Does it or not? Does it matter? Is there a way? Is there an intention that, like, you when you go out into the world, you're like, I am touching my spirituality in the way that I'm playing with people, or like, you know, right? Yeah, well, that would be kind of a pretentious way to carry it around. But so, how do you so right? So, what makes it a spiritual practice and not just something that's like more fun? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. is it is it the way that you think about it later that is like partly? I think, like, yeah, it gets put into a reflective. Reflective, no reflectional. <laughs> like a ref- I reflect on a reflecting it. Reflecting pond. Reflect on the meaning of it, and like, oh, so what was there, and how did that fit with a larger purpose, and wondering, and like, hmm, yeah, but, but the, again, I I don't know that it matters. I don't know that it matters. You know, whether you call it spiritual or not, is it serving that need, right? If you go to do yoga, I guess that's it. Does it serve this like deep? Yeah. Does Does it not only serve you and your needs? but serve the larger whole in the same way. I think there's an extra juice that comes when we add our intention to it. Uh-huh. Like it goes further, it goes wider, it goes deeper. It includes more people. Yeah. It has more earth more resonance. world-changing resonance to to make it intentional. Yeah. You know, so it's like when I somebody says a prayer and somebody says amen, that amen lifts it. Sure. You know, and and Absolutely. It, in some religious traditions that's like it's as important that you say the amen that you say the prayer, mm-hmm. right? And I, I, can understand I love that. that notion. Yeah. And so, if you're experiencing your improv in that what we're calling spiritual way, and you're acknowledging it, like gives it even more strength, you know, to the goodness of it. Do we know that for certain? No. I'm trying to think about whether it would change anything for me to go to an improv workout and a, and approach it as a spiritual fascinating experiment practice especially if you could do it with other people who were feeling the same way right but if you were would it change what you did like how would it change right. would it, how would it change what i do for like me, i don't know so for me it's i don't necessarily frame it as spirituality but like before an improv show i want to explicitly connect with everybody yeah me too because for me part of spirituality is connection right so it's like i want to make eye contact i want to let them know that I care about them and hear that they care about me. And and I want to take a moment to pause and recognize other forces that will help us during this thing, right? So to maybe it's naming, appreciating the place, like Native American tradition would do. Like, let's give thanks for being here. For this stage. For this space that was given to us, for this opportunity. But, you know, the beings of the north, south, east, and west, and the up and the down or whatever... Like to call in whoever might be looking out for us and watching over us, we draw on you and your insight to help us be our best tonight. Just even just like a ten second mini prayer. I gotta be honest. There's like half of me that loves that and half of me yeah. that does not buy it at all. At well, all. It's not buy. It's not buying it. It's like there's part of me that's like, oh, right, please, criminy. Yeah, yeah, like give me a yeah. break. It's like too too far. But then, but it's balanced very much by half of me that's like. Oh, that's so lovely. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But like, but I guess part of it is just like, I'm an improviser. It's like what I do. It's what I do. Right. And is it a spiritual practice to be like, hold on, what's the best way to, to improvise riding a horse? Because I want to look really good when I do that. And how do we climb ladders? That's sort of the technical. Yeah. Which yeah. I love. Like that really excites right. me about improv. It's like, yeah. how do you convincingly climb a ladder on stage? Right. When you are, when you don't have a ladder to climb. If you're a minister... It helps to think about how do you effectively make eye contact when you're reading a passage from the Bible. Yeah. The nuts and bolts. The nuts and bolts. It matters. How do you hold your hand when you're giving somebody a chalice to drink from? Yeah. But because all of that, like, if you can convincingly climb a ladder on stage, then you continue to transport an audience into a new... Right. It's like you increase the possibilities of where you can go Yes. in an improv story. And that is... Exciting. 
craft craft serving the transport craft enables the transportiveness the transformation yeah yeah craft enables inspiration oh no I, I want to go back <laughs> craft enables magic that was an interesting line yeah yeah it, what is magic is that magic something spiritual that's happening Oof. so when an improv story on or scene it like just boom just nail something yeah is that is there a guidance to that is there from from outside yeah some larger force that's enabling that that's i don't think so is my first hit but yeah so where do the ideas come from your life and your imagination your brain your brain and your heart yeah i i, th- I your experience for me there's more to other, it like i can attention? i can get to there's a set of possibilities that i think usually i'm going to turn to because of my experiences and my histories and all that but that ultimately, where does an idea come from? I don't know. You know, that's that great. That great. I don't know, but like, but that doesn't mean that there's like great guidance. It just means there's like right. less stuff I can't explain. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? I, sure. It could be that it's nothing and it could be that it's something. Certainly, sometimes it feels like something to me. But what does that mean? It feels like something. That's that there's some force or maybe an entity but there's a propulsion like oh yeah we're all participating in this this is something larger than us it's it's got its own it, thing it, it is something larger than us i mean it's something different it's not it's greater than the sum of its parts right this this but i don't know why it's like i really struggle with this idea that there's something yeah are you familiar with carl jung the psychologist carl jung uh, vaguely so he was a student of Freud's and eventually left Freud because he didn't agree with Freud's thinking that everything sort of traced back to sex and dealing with our parents. But Jung talked about our psyches as being drawn inexorably towards the expression of wholeness. Hmm. And as That's nice. Part of that means integrating our shadow side, so the part of us that we think we want to be and the parts of us we've tried to hide away. Like, no, you have to accept those and integrate those and... And that's another interesting way we could talk about improv and mindfulness related spirituality is the shadow stuff. But what I want to say about Jung is he talked about archetypes, the notion of archetypes, that there are universal patterns, patterns of energy, story patterns in human experience and in the world that have a life of their own, that create a propulsion to be told in a certain way or to organize in a certain pattern, and that we can get pulled into those, into enacting those archetypes when it's like it's not even us doing it. It's this thing is happening. Yeah. So there might be an arch- the archetypal story of the um, child rebelling against the parent, mm-hmm. right? And so I might get pulled into this drama in the workplace where I'm like railing against an executive director of a nonprofit. And it's like it takes on its own life and we all start enacting this story where it's like, any of us could pause and be like, wait a second, why are we doing this story? Step out of it. But it, it's got this magnetism to it and just pulls us into it. And I, I think of stories unfolding on an improv stage that way often. There's this archetypal thing happening and we, uh, like the center of a hurricane or something like it, we get pulled into its orbit and then we're telling that story and then it kind of casts us out when it's done, you know. Is that spiritual? Would Jung describe that as... as, as... Archetypal stuff? Um, yeah, like... he might talk about it having a... a what he, he The word he used was numinous, like of or relating to mystery or the divine, that these collections of uh, archetypal swirlings and patterns, they come and they go, kind of like swirls in a, in a river. Yeah. Uh, and that, yeah, they have, that, they have that quality to them. And in those moments the veil between the invisible and visible worlds gets thin and things can reach through and surprise us and be like, where did that come from? And then the veil closes back up and we're like, what? How do, how, where did that happen? Yeah, well, you I know. feel like I, ex- I, I experienced that. On stage? Yeah, that like, mm-hmm. well, it's like the ability that we have to surprise ourselves right. is like glorious. Right. And I, and I do believe that that genius should be effortless. That you just have to kind of open yourself and let something come to you. Right. But I guess I'm not. I'm not prepared to say that that is 
anything more than an unpredictable firing of neurons. You know what I mean? Really? Like that, that right. different ideas are combining in ways in our brains that we're we don't feel responsible for, right. but we can receive and we can't totally explain them. But it but that doesn't you know what I mean? Like So this gets back to what you were saying early on about religion is like, well, they're kind of different stories for explaining what's happening. Yeah. Why not choose the one serves you better, that feels more life giving, more refreshing more vitalizing right yeah so like yeah maybe it's just neurons firing and maybe it's you know a divine gift i'd kind of rather believe it's a divine gift that feels cooler i like that yeah you know so given that we don't know they seem equally likely why don't we choose the story that is compelling yeah you know and and uh, enriching <laughs> i love that this stuff we've talked i think we talked about it last episode I love that this stuff puts us in touch with paradox. Like, it's true and it's not true. Well, it might Bo- be true or it might not. And does it matter? Right. And, <laughs> right? And, like, and both at the same time. Yeah. Like, like yeah. who is to say, right? I mean, this mm-hmm. feels like it's the nature of genius. It's the nature of, you know, it's like I've often said things like Shakespeare. Like, there's no explanation for how that guy wrote the plays that he wrote with the number of words that he, that like, there's just no, like he was some sort of like shit just flew through, like flew through him. Channel. But maybe he was like a little bit mentally, you know, like maybe he had like some sort of like a a mental condition, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That like made him suck in words and process them in ways that we, that norm, that, that, that normal quote unquote people didn't. And we call it genius. And he was a little bit mentally ill. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like, absolutely. So, but I do talk about it. Like, I just, like, am at odds with myself on how I'm willing to classify this, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Because I also will talk about things as magical. I think I think the journey to explore that, even just asking these questions, is itself a spiritual practice. Reflection? Yeah, contemplation. Like, contemplation on mystery. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like you are awakening and expressing that sense of wonder. Like, is this true? I don't know. And as we talked about recently just the notion of being curious can i be curious and open rather than trying to f- fit whatever data i find in my exploration to fit my um or to serve my previous narrative yeah right it's like no i'm going to really be open like i don't know could be but i, I think well what- i don't know could be i feel like is where i land it's like i don't know yeah great but you but it's maybe it's more informed i don't know could be than it used to be Right, so there's like there's. I don't more, know about more things now. Yeah. Than before. I, I've got further. My circle is wider. Yeah. In which I can say I don't know. Yeah. And this, um, I think, when we hang out with paradox, and what, especially when we can hold multiple truths at the same time, that is a spiritual development practice uh-huh. to just chill out with paradox. Yeah. And so we've talked about a lot of them on the podcast. Like, I'm aspiring to do something, and I'm accepting whatever is true. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm wanting to tell a story on an improv stage, and I want to just be present for what whatever there is without trying to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to improve myself and whatever the paradox and is. And accept myself or whatever. Yeah, whatever yeah. the paradox is. We put ourselves in it, and there we are. Yeah. And so now it's like a... Um, it's not a hyperbaric chamber. It's like it's like a spiritual testing ground, you know, that you just if you want to become a better driver, you go, you know, drive around a track for two hundred miles an hour and you come out and you're like, Whew, okay. I was training and now I'm can go race, you know. So it's like put your hang out in paradox and then go back in the world and Yeah, and you call that spirituality and I don't know that I do. Yeah. Right? Like exactly. because I I'm not sure I will ever know what that really means. Right. But I guess if it's like, yeah, no, there's shit that we're not ever going to know. So here's an interesting way to ask the question. If you have kids, if you were to ever have kids, what would you want to pass on to them? What, would you want to give them a structured sense of ritual, meaning do you tell them that things are true and then say, eventually you're going to figure this out for yourself? Or do you just kind of let them explore? Mm, I think I would want to instill in them a practice of reflection, of noticing how the, themselves, their choices, what feels what feels be- good, what feel doesn't feel good. Share with them what my experiences are. Yeah, I think I would want to instill in them a practice of of bold, generous playfulness. Okay, I want to teach them the rules of improv. Take care of your partner. Show up playfully. Like be bold. Yeah, 
try things, respect your boundaries, you know? Yeah. It's okay to, it's okay to make mistakes. You don't have to be perfect. Yeah. Like those are the rules I would want to teach them. And you'd probably would take them to shows. Yeah. Like in, in, inculcate them in the rituals of improv and they'd probably hang out backstage and get to know other players you're playing with. Oh, and, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of cool. I, I mean, I would take them traveling and I would take them to, I would take them every, you know. Right. I think if I had kids, I would want to raise them Quaker because there's a, there's a commitment to silence. There's a commitment to social justice. There's a commitment to mystery. Is there a reason why <clears throat> you are not in a Quaker community? If that's true? Yes. Because, well, A, there aren't as many Quakers out here in California as there are in New England, but it doesn't serve all of who I want to be now. But I think it's really important for kids to have a structure and to have a community and to hang out with other kids who are exploring the same beliefs. Uh-huh. And so the Quaker community most closely fits that. what I want that what I would want that kid to grow up with. A mm-hmm. sense, a grounding sense of moral commitment and inclusion in something larger. Mm-hmm. Right. And the Quaker kids that I know, they're just wonderful. Cool. They're so great. They're comfortable with silence. They're kind. They're accepting of difference. They love life. They love the planet. You know, like they know how to be. They know how to be quiet, and they know how to play. Yeah. And and they like music. <laughs> like I send my kid to Quaker summer camp. Yes. Great. <laughs> yeah. So great. Yeah. But it's it's a that question to me is a really interesting one because it's okay. Yeah, we can sort of talk over the top of all this and be like, well, it's a mystery. I don't know. We're kind of making our way as adults. But if we were to say, what do I want to pass on to the next generation? What am I going to give my kid in order to be able to cope and thrive in the world? It somehow takes on a different, oh, oh, geez, I got to really figure it out, you know, or at least come up with a, a stopgap or best, best guess solution to go forward with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, is is mindfulness or meditation a spiritual practice to you? No. Hmm. It doesn't feel spiritual to me. Uh-huh. I think there's something... There, I don't know. This now, now I'm mired in it, and I can't... I'm like, what is spirit? I don't know. Like, Do is want- silence sacred? Maybe, you know? Like, maybe, uh-huh. maybe there's some, like, power to... Uh-huh. Rather, I guess silence... Like, it feels like m- mindfulness or meditation can be a... Can be a, a vehicle to uh, to touch truth, uh-huh. to touch true things. Okay. Yeah, I wonder if sending the question rather than through our mind, our intellect, we send it through our heart. Like, oh, there's a now I can find that that feels spiritual. I don't need to know whether it's spiritual or not. It just feels it. You I know, need like, a new word. You need a new word. I need yeah. a new word. Yeah. Spiritual is like. Pretty vague. It it just has some loading too. Sure. Like it's just like mean stuff, yeah. and there's like these associations mm-hmm. that some that something so, in me rankles at. So what are some other words that could possibly that are in that ballpark? Well, I feel like Patricia. Ha- oh gosh, I need to find this. Okay, this is something Patricia Ryan Madsen wrote. To the Stanford improvisers on the occasion of your graduation, which you've maybe read because she's posted it a couple times. Yes. So here are some of the things that she says. Go forward with reality as your teacher. Reality, capital R. Mm-hmm. Open your eyes and heart again and again to reality, even when you'd rather close them. Continue to examine and refine your purpose. Remember, purposes come in many sizes. Practice accepting life as it comes, no matter how it may differ from your hopes and expectations. Practice acceptance even while you're working to change things. Rebound swiftly from mistakes and disappointments. Trust reality. Appreciate reality. Be helpful if you can and do what needs to be done. So, that, those were highlights. It wasn't all, it wasn't mm-hmm. the whole thing, but there's something that I like about I think mindfulness and meditation allows you to see reality. Mm-hmm. With I a think, capital R? Yes. I think there's a way that you can kind of clear away some of the shit that that clouds the mm-hmm. 
that clouds our vision of what is really going on. Mm-hmm. Our emotion, like our, we get like run around by our emotions. We get run around, you know, sometimes those emotions are helpful and sometimes they are obfuscating. Yes. And so I think that like calming those waters can help us see what is tr- what is truly going on. And I think if we're responding from this place of honesty and eyes wide open, then that is a, that is like a, a, a deep true thing. We are touching mm-hmm. Reality, capital R, which is our teacher, which gives us what we need, you know, but I like calling it reality because it's like, yeah, it's what's actually here. It's not this like mm, floating cloud of unity, which I kind of believe in, but it's hard to talk about in a way that I really can get 100% behind. It's so interesting. Yeah. So the words help us because in my conversations with Patricia, it's like I have asked her, is reality God? And she's like, oh, whatever. Yeah. She's like, if you want. Could be, but. (laughs) Right. It's it's sort of like, well, let's use this word because it's, I'm totally, I love that word as well as a description of what is true. What is true? Capital T true. So there's something about like capitalizing words like reality and truth that make them have a little bit more gravity, but don't take them out of the realm of something that I can. They don't put them into the realm of fanaticism. Yeah. Or like. It just gets. It, I I I am nervous about the border of woo woo, even though right. I spend some time there. But I don't. Yeah, me too. I, I for a long time, or there, there's definitely a big part of me that avoids woo woo because I know part of me is woo woo, uh-huh. and I don't want to be exposed as such. <laughs> you don't want people to know it. You know, it's like, um, yeah, actually, I I used to believe in. I I I'm under, I understand that channeling could be true. You know, or like, yeah, I I know how to read an astrological birth chart. Don't tell people that. Don't tell people that. <laughs> Even though it's totally cool. <laughs> you know, but it's like, well, how often are we going to, how long are we going to hide who we are and what we know to be true? And, you know, <laughs> it's just, oh, this is so, there's, there, it's a great, this is a huge question too. I know. And I think it's a spiritual question. How long are we going to hide who we are, Right. One of the things that I'll say now, we'll be interested to see whether I decide to include this on the podcast, but one of the things that I believe to be true and I think is really important, but I just don't have the courage to say out loud in public usually, is that I think that nature w- will communicate with us if we will listen, that it has an intentionality, plants and animals and uh, nature as a, as a larger being, right? And so if we listen, we, the only way that we could get out of our environmental ecological mess that we're, we've gotten ourselves in is to listen to wisdom from nature. And that even the toxins that we think are eternal that we've put in could somehow be transmuted if we would get off of our arrogance and listen. Do I say that often? No. What does that mean? It's like if you've got, you've got uh, poison in your backyard and you go out and you say, you ask the plants that are native to your region, say, I want to clean this up. Can you help me clean this up? That the plants might respond if you know how to listen and give you direction for like, well, what you need to do is plant chrysanthemum over here and rhubarb over here. And that will, you know, that will clear up the toxin by doing that and waters this time. Like to take direction. Specific direction. Specific. Yeah. And so this is surprising you, right? But, I just am not, I cannot imagine, like... Yeah, have you ever heard of the Fintorn community in Scotland? No. This is a, now, it's a spiritual community, a new age, uh, a learning community. But it started as a spiritual community that was founded by people who were listening to guidance from angels and what are called nature divas. And they were guided to create this garden on soil that is like crap soil. Like you never would grow a garden, right? It's like just rocks on this cloudy, salty earth in Northern Scotland, just frigid. And yet they listened and they practiced and they're like, I don't know how we're going to do this, but they did it. And they, the garden produced this just immense, thriving vegetables and fruits, like impossible, you know? And they would have rabbits that would come and start eating the garden and be like, well, what about the rabbits? And so they'd sit down and they'd meditate and they'd contact the overarching spirit, the guides of the rabbits, and they'd make an agreement with them and say, okay, you can have this three foot by three foot patch of garden, leave the rest of it alone. And then the rabbits would come and eat that part of the garden and leave the rest of the garden alone. I mean, just stuff like this over and over. You go, what? That's impossible. And it happened. <laughs> it's like, 
they're like, what if you learned that like that community actually is like heavily fertilizing with some, oh, you know that, what I mean? Well, it, would like, a, it would be a bummer. Right. But I don't believe that to be true. Why not? Because they documented it and that the kinds of people they are. And, yeah. Right. So your natural thing is to be, anyway, but that's why I don't put this out very often yeah because most people are just like that's ridiculous i can't believe you would believe that well, it just that. feels like it just feels like it feels like it feels a little bit like the like the filipino like i will reach into your body and pull out the the troubled guts of yours which people spent thousands of dollars right you know yeah pursuing and it's a hoax that's a, that's a hoax yes this this yeah i don't believe this to be a hoax yeah yeah. I guess they're and, not looking to capitalize on it either. No, and I've met these people, some of these people, and I've met people who do similar things. And yeah. I think this is when I was talking about my beliefs changing. Like, if I go to like a whole Earth Expo now, I think at least three quarters of the people there are just complete hoaxes, mm -hmm. or they believe themselves to be doing something that's true, but they're not. But I also believe that there are twenty five percent of the people who are doing things that look like that, that but look are crazy, that are mind-blowing and are tapping into something that is beyond what we think is possible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So anyway, but how long, how, why, why hide that? Right. right? It's just a self-protection thing to say, yeah. I want people to like me. I don't want to be dismissed. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. You know? Like immediately after having my like, oh, come on, reaction, I'm like, but... We have to do things that we didn't think were possible if we wanted to do things we've never done before. Like, right. like this is, is, we must do this. Right. This is, it has to be the way. And, and great if those people hear the earth talking to them, right. the fucking by all means, go follow it, you know? Yeah. So like, there's not a, does it matter? Yeah, you're following, you're doing your thing. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, I guess it matters for like, if I try to hear the earth talking to me. I it guess could, that, that's the. Well, it could matter, right. If this is that's a way. That's where it matters. If it's that like, were a way to heal ourselves of toxins. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like gotta work. It's got whatever works for you has got to work for you, right? I think there's something about becoming more effective communicators that allows us to expand possibilities. So that that improv and mindfulness are reaching into wider circles now, corporate circles and community circles and you know uh, humanitarian circles. That's cool because now more people are open to those vocabularies and can hear the messages that come through. The practice, whether they're considered spiritual practices or not. Yeah. It's like if you do yoga, you put yourself in those postures, it's kind of going to engender, start to engender the attitudes that yoga promotes. Whether you think it does or not, it's going to put yourself in that posture. It's going to activate a certain way of being. Really? Yes. What about people who are like just fitness yoga people? They're just like, I just want to like, this is for, it's, yeah. it's like Pilates, right. you know? Tons of steel. Yeah, and and they're doing it. They're doing it for that, and they're like, yeah. do you really think that in spite of themselves, yes, they're getting the good stuff? Not all of it, but some of it. It's inching them in that direction. I do. Hmm. Yeah, and same thing with improv. It's going to inch you in the direction of generosity, listening. You know, even if you're a bad improviser who's just doing it because you want to get laid, somebody cute you think is in the troupe. Okay, yeah, I don't like that intention, but. Put yourself out there. This system, the way of being, is gonna—it's gonna work its magic on yeah, you. Yeah, you have to be doing it. And eventually, you know, it'll make a difference. Yeah. yeah. So, woohoo! Okay, well, so well, let's let's pull it together there. How do we do that? I think we declare it to be so. <laughs> it is so. It Let is it so. be so. Let it be so. We have we have touched on mystery, and we have expanded mystery. We don't have answers. Once again, we don't have answers. But we hope that you've enjoyed this little traipse through the fields of mystery. Yeah. And uh, this, is, I want to say, even more so, if you have questions or thoughts, send them to us. And, you know, let, let's consider them together. Yeah. So. Always. Okay. People. 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 Always. Yeah. Maybe so, maybe the question is like, what is your non, what is your unconventional spiritual practice? 
If you have an unge- like, there's certain things that feel mm. like kind of conventional spiritual practices. Praying, meditating, attending some sort of a spiritual community right. service or sermon or what gathering. But if but improv is a little bit of an unconventional spiritual practice, I'm still not convinced it's my spiritual practice. Right. Playfulness, spiritual practice, is yeah. your spiritual practice. Yeah. So like, if you have an unconventional spiritual practice out there, what is it? Mm. And my, what, my, and what my, makes it spiritual? My great uncle uh, does not go to church. He gardens instead. Mm-hmm. And he goes, that's where I talk to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if, maybe we could ask, what about it makes it spiritual? Or what about it connects you to reality? With a capital R. Yeah. Okay. Let's that's ask your, that. That's that, we and we have asked it. That's your assignment, Pete. Everybody, we would love to hear that. What is your? What's the way that you touch reality? Especially if it's an alternative way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There All you right. go. You got your assignment. The end. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. I think that was our outro. I think so. Yeah. Info at monsterbabypodcast.com. That's it. That's the information. That's how you get to us. We thank you for listening to our our rambling conversation. You rock, and we love you. Bye-bye. Ciao.